All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Scott Farrell. We are in episode two of our series on buying a home. Yep. So last week, we had our first episode. We brought in mortgage lender, our friend, David Keller. Yep. If you guys missed out on that episode, please be sure to go back and watch it so you're prepared for this episode. Um, What are we going to be talking about today? Step two. Step two. So last week we talked with David about uh, buying a house and we all agreed the first step is talking to a lender. The reasoning why was because we had to figure out what our budget was. Just like you don't go to buy a car without knowing what you're willing to pay, you don't go to buy the biggest asset of your life without some kind of a budget, understanding you know, how much money I need to buy it, understanding what it's going to cost me per month. And then also, like we talked about, it's probably the most emotionally difficult part, which is the financial undressing and acknowledging what issues might occur in escrow and trying to resolve that as soon as possible. And to start this episode, we're going to be assuming someone's gone through kind of the processes you just set out that we talked about with David in episode one of this series. So that brings us to the point of having a pre-approval in hand from the lender you are good to go and a pre-approval is like a letter of confidence from a lender that you can uh, officially get a loan based off the information they have absolutely those who don't know perfect so the next step let's say i i'm a prospective buyer right I, i went through the financial undressing i went through the little bit of uncomfort that comes with getting pre approved right yep i now have my pre approval letter in hand where do I go? What do I do? You come talk to an idiot like myself or Kate. <laughs> Not Very actually. true. <laughs> so the next step is you, you need to talk to a realtor. So there's two people that help you throughout your transaction, typically. There's hun- hundreds of people that help you, actually. But these are the two guides, right? There's the financial guide, which you've now talked to, met, and you, you understand their role. Now it's the realtor, who's the real estate agent, realtor, whatever you want to call them. Um, who takes you through the process of actually purchasing the home now that you're talking about the house itself, not the loan. Um, and, and real quick, that's a good point too. So for those of you out there who aren't really familiar with the terms, realtor, real estate agent, agent, you know, they're all kind of simultaneous. There's no difference between people, those terms. And people will also use the word broker. Mm-hmm. Technically, a broker is a higher uh, license, mm-hmm. meaning they can do more things like uh, have a brokerage. An agent or a salesperson, as they say it in the actual business world, is the person that you're talking to frequently. So, you know, people kind of mistake all those things. Probably the best term is your realtor. Um, and essentially, the realtor works as like a guide and advocate for you throughout the entire home buying process meaning they're your eyes and ears that look over your shoulder and guide you from finding a home to negotiating on the home, you know, navigating escrow, all of those things. I mean, it's thousands of different th- of different points and they work with you on the housing side. Now, as a prospective buyer, um, that, and there's kind of two different scenarios if we backtrack a little bit, right? So someone we know, uh, or if you're a prospective buyer, you make the decision, you know, I, I want to go and buy a house. 
you typically either one already know an agent and you reach out to them first, right? So right. for right. our cases, someone we know reaches out to us directly first and then we refer them to the mortgage lender. But there could be the the opposite scenario, right? Where you may reach out to a mortgage lender first, somebody you know, you don't really know any agents or um, you know, know of any agents. And after you have that pre-approval in that scenario, now it's time for you to kind of choose your guide, choose your agent, choose who is going to walk you through this transaction and, and guide you through that, right? Yeah. So what are the important things to know? If, if a buyer is in that scenario, if you're sitting there, you have your pre-approval and you don't know a real estate agent, what are some ways you can find somebody? What should you be looking for? What do we typically recommend to people? Uh, a great way is to ask people that you know who had good experiences. Ask them who they used. Um, a lot of realtors are relentless on social media. Hmm. So an easy way would be just scrolling through a social media page. Um, and then also, if uh, you know a, uh, a couple agents, you kind of have a sit down with them and you interview them, just like any other job. And your whole goal should be to find a realtor that we always talk about like, knows, and trusts. You know, you have to like the guy because you're going to be with this person for a while, right? The home buying process at a minimum is like a month. Mm -hmm. So somebody that you like, you know, somebody that you trust, right? Somebody that you think, okay, uh, has the information that I need to be successful and understands where I'm coming from, where I want to go and has my best interest at heart and somebody who has knowledge, and this is where people sometimes get stuck a little bit because they think knowledge is the only key here. And there are agents who've been in the business forever, who have a ton of knowledge, who you might not like or know, and or you might not like or trust. And now you need to go find an agent who really is looking out for you. That's kind of the biggest key. A hundred percent. And so now if we bring that, that, that brings us to, um, you've got your lender and your pre-approval. You've now decided on the agent who you like, who you know, who you trust. And the next step would be to do what we typically call in the industry a, a buyer's consultation. And the purpose of the buyer's consultation is to really sit down. And, and it can be a, an uncomfortable discussion, too. And this is typically with your agent. But we really kind of try and dig into the details of what's your comfortable shopping price point. You know, the a big one we ask is, what would you be comfortable paying every single month for your mortgage? And we kind of take a deep dive into what you want to shop for, what kind of houses you're looking for, neighborhoods you want to stay in, and stuff like that. And this is important because both for the buyer's sake and our sake, we want to make sure we're looking at houses that you guys can really envision yourself yeah. making offers on and living in, right? Yeah. So there's, there's like a big misconception or it's not a misconception. It's just like the natural process. When somebody wants to buy a house, nine times out of 10, the reason they want to buy a house is because they see a house they like. Does that seem fair? Absolutely. So we get a lot of messages like, hey, I want to go see this house. And we have a general rule. We like to show people like one house typically um, without any pre-approval or anything. Now, COVID's changed that a little bit because people require it now. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the times people start on step four. 
and we have to rein them back in and say, okay, step one, let's get you pre-approved. Step two, find your agent. Step three, buyer's consultation. The important part with the buyer's consultation is what you just said. We often end up finding that the first house we go look at when we just go show a house is not a house that will ever make sense. Now we've been wrong tons of times, tons mm -hmm. of times, but, but to say that it's important that the agent understands what you're looking to do because everybody loves really nice homes, but nobody wants to go to a really nice home and be told I can't buy that or I can't afford that. Mm -hmm. It's better to know upfront, this is out of where my comfortability is. And there are a ton of homes that fit my comfortability. Does that seem fair? Absolutely. And that kind of leads us. I mean, you just talked about the next step after the buyer's consultation. Well, let's not move out of that yet. Okay. Because the pricing is one thing. But have you ever shown somebody a house and then they're like, oh, doesn't have a fourth bedroom. And like you were one minute into the showing and it was 20 minutes away. Mm -hmm. And you had to spend 10 <laughs> minutes getting it set up or 20 minutes set up. Yeah. Have you ever experienced that? Yep. I think that that's a frustrating thing for realtors. I think conversely, buyers get really frustrated when an agent sets up a showing for them mm -hmm. and they show up and they're like, dude, you didn't listen to me. This house is completely trashed. Like I need a house that's done. I have no skill set and no want to fix a house up. So the buyer's consultation gets everybody on the same page for your wants and needs. It makes sure it, it makes sure that everything is out in the open, right? right? If you need a minimum of four bedrooms because you have three kids or you have four kids or, or, or whatever it is, right? Then there should not be any time wasted on either the realtor's part or the buyer's part to go and look at houses that only have three bedrooms. Or two bedrooms. Or two bedrooms. Exactly. Making sure everything gets out in the open like that not only makes things clear exactly like you were saying, everybody's on the same page. But it also puts you in the best position to, one, go and see the homes that match your criteria, and right. two, give you the best chance of moving forward and getting an offer accepted. Because if you go in to see a house that doesn't doesn't match your criteria, let's use the bedroom, for example, you're not going to be too serious. I mean, unless it's the 0.0001%, right? You're not going to be falling in love with that house and making an offer on that house. And you never want to have buyer's remorse either. If, right. if you need those bedrooms for your kids, you're going to go and look at houses that have four bedrooms. Right. The other part is a lot of people don't know the buyer relationship and the buyer agent relationship. So you set expectations. Mm -hmm. Now, every agent operates differently, but we work with a lot of people who are pretty proactive. Not to say that we don't look on the MLS and send them listings, but to say that a lot of buyers right now understand it's hyper, hyper competitive and they need to be on top of looking. Now, this is a situational economy thing. There are times where the market's a little slower and the agent does more work digging for finding listings that maybe there's motivation for a discount, right? Yep. Um, but right now, we work with a lot of buyers who search. Understanding how that relation set up, okay, um, you know, some people, they'll go on, on like big sites and they'll find foreclosure, pre-foreclosure, and they'll send us those listings. We can have those conversations right now. Hey, pre-foreclosure and foreclosure situations are unique and they're not actually listings. They mm -hmm. might appear as such, but for our, all intents and purposes right now, we're going to ignore that because most of these pre-foreclosures and foreclosures won't go to sale. And when they do, they go to cash. Yep. 
So these are all things to talk about, especially like time frame, location, bed bath count, condition, pool or no pool, garages. These are all one things. One story or two story. One story, two story, yard size, school district. There's a million different criteria. Setting up a list of wants and needs, one, allows the agent to look for you. But two, when you send the agent a house, the agent knows what criteria the house needs to check in order to go look and a good example of this would be maybe you don't like road noise and you're just like spamming through the list view of listings on a major uh consumer site Mm -hmm. and you're sending a house on serena serena backs up to shepherd it matters which side of the street you're on for road noise so you might not have caught that but it is at the end of the day the realtor's job to check right yep and if you show up to the house and you see that big cinder block wall and you hear cars speeding down Shepherd, well, you guys all just drove, let's assume the average commute 10 minutes or more, 20 minutes round trip to go look at a house that you're never going to want. And one example uh, I'll add to that really quickly would be if you know, if you as the buyer know you're wanting to buy in what you would consider, what we would consider an A neighborhood, right? But you're scrolling through this big online list of homes and you see a home that shows really well on the pictures. Like they did a great job. The inside is fantastic. And you send it over to your realtor saying, hey, look at the price. Look, I'm, look at the price. Look how amazing this house is. That also comes down to, you know, uh, on those listing photos, it doesn't give you a map of the neighborhood. It doesn't give you X, Y, Z. So, at, you know, as the realtor looking looking in the neighborhood or the buyer may do it as well. If you know it's in one of those B or C neighborhoods that you're not going to feel comfortable in and that house is going to be the best house on the block, if you're looking in A neighborhoods, that's not going to be something that you're going to move forward and look at because it's not something you're going to make an offer on or end up buying. Absolutely. So to recap the entire point of the buyer's consultation and the reason why the order starts with get pre-approved, then have a buyer's consultation Mm -hmm. is to just set yourself up for success. Just like an attorney doesn't meet his client at the stand, the attorney has a consultation. The attorney talks to their client. We work essentially in a fiduciary role, which is the exact same term they use for an attorney when they're talking about fiduciary duty. So you got to keep in mind, we're not representing you in the court of law, but we are representing you in the court of real estate Hmm. where there's going to be hundreds of people competing and agents only have so much time, right? So we can only show you the best houses because right now there's, I think it's the the last number I heard was like 30 buyers for every one house on the market. So if you want to, you know, really have an agent who's helping you, good agents are selective and good agents will require this step in the process to go look at homes and really get a good negotiation going and good rapport building and make sure that when the time comes to pull the trigger, everybody's on the same page. Absolutely. Now let's go to the fun part. So we've talked about it a little bit. The next step would be what we call showings, right? It's when we all go and it's the fun part. You get to go out and look at these houses in person. You get to tour the houses, you know, look at the outside, inside, drive the neighborhood, do X, Y, and Z. Post it on social media. Post it on social media. Exactly. So we've talked a little bit um, about outlining that criteria in the buyer's consultation. Um, the goal in the showing process is to only go and spend your time looking at strong candidates, at really strong candidates that 
again, you can see yourself making an offer on and see yourself living in. Right. right? Now, importantly for the showings, we've got a list of kind of buyer do's and don'ts and then kind of the agent's responsibility during the showing process. So let's start with the buyer do's and don'ts during the showing process. These, again, are what we, Kate and I, believe are best practices. Mm -hmm. No, we are not saying you have to do this, but if your goal is to have a very good home purchasing process... This is a very good way to start. Absolutely. Again, this is the fun part because it's kind of like test driving a car. Mm-hmm. And as fun as it might be to test drive hypercars, there's a reason why they don't let you, right? <laughs> because in the car industry, that mile counts. We try to respect other people's homes and respect the fact that there's other buyers coming through, especially in this market. So we always try to only show the best candidates. And one of the best ways to do this is before you go see the home, if you see a home you like, you know that you're going to go look at it tomorrow or you would like to, and it's in the area you want to go to, you know, you want to live in, a great thing would be to go drive the outside of the house. And what we mean by that is to physically go drive past the home and drive in the neighborhood. Think to yourself, is this a neighborhood I like? At this price, do I, you know, does this neighborhood feel right? Would I be safe here? Is the home located somewhere like on a busy street or next to a crack house or what is it, right? There's things that you can see by going there in person. What, but like if you can't do it, one of the other things you could do is Google Drive it, right? So you go on Google Maps, you go to Street View, and you just hop onto the Street View and you look around. Keep in mind, things could have changed. There's a little timestamp at the bottom right that tells you when the photo was taken. But this whole purpose is to help figure out before you even get there, you know, do I need to see the inside or can I rule this house out or in? Absolutely. It's kind of um, kind of like the first line of defense or like the first line of defense isn't the right phrase, but the first threshold to kind of lower down that funnel to see what you're actually going to go see, right? And I think Google Maps is huge, right? If you're not able to drive the neighborhood, um, log on to that street view kind of walk around walk around on right. Google Maps get a feel for the neighborhood. Another thing we have here which is huge is also in Google Maps calculate the time it, it it'll take you to get to work from that house. You know, to right. other friends and family in the city what and it's that that might be something that is huge. really important to you is uh, you know I want to be only a 20 minute drive from work cuz I've uh, in my current place I have to drive 40 minutes. I really need to narrow that down. Well, Throw it in Google Maps and see how close it is to work, family, your favorite places to eat, shop, drink. Where's you know? your life? Exactly. Because right? exactly. the only thing you can't change with a house or the most difficult thing, you know, there's other things you can't change, but the only thing you cannot change is location. Yeah. And sometimes, just like you were saying, you'll get carried away looking around at all oh, gorgeous photos and the price is perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you forget to look at where it is on the map and now you're seeing, well, of course, it's that price. It's way, way out in Clovis. And my whole goal was to be right near downtown Clovis. And now I'm 25 minutes from there, right? So whatever your goal is, it's important to see where does this house line up location-wise. There's a reason why they say location, location, location. You can't change it. It's the most valuable part. Yeah. And on the actual showing, so this is kind of like what we recommend and what we have found helpful, what our clients have found helpful to do kind of pre-showing, 
right? Right. Now, something especially important, which, which sounds like, you know, it should be common sense, um, but when you're on the actual showing, a big buyer do is to communicate to your agent during the showing your likes about the house, but then also any concerns you might have about, you know, the house when you're viewing it. That way your agent can one, you know, make, make recommendations or solutions. And again, it goes back to making sure everybody's on the same page. Everybody's being open and honest with each other. Because if you as the buyer or even us as the agents, if we see something that might be a concern uh, at all, we, we want to discuss that now and not in the house, in the house. And worst case scenario, you don't you don't want it to happen and cause an issue when you're already in escrow. Because, you know, if this was a concern back here and you're already in escrow and it's something, you know, that that could potentially cancel the escrow, then, you know, you just went from here to here and wasted a whole bunch of time when if everybody was open and honest and on the same page back here, it would have made it a lot easier for everybody. Yeah. No, that's huge. The The other part that we talk about is when you're open and honest about what you're liking and what you're not liking, the agent can be an advocate for you when the time comes, right? And so when you say, okay, you walk in a house, oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. Hey, this really concerns me. That AC unit looks really bad. One, an agent will have some expertise that will help you and they might agree. Or two, when we write the offer, we talk in the process of writing the offer. Hey, I know that you were concerned about this, that, or the other. Does this price with knowing those things, how, like, is this a price you're willing to pay knowing that that could be an issue down the road? Right. And if it's going to writing in what things need to be done for you to be happy are important. Um, which leads us a little bit to the don'ts or like some suggestions on some like mindset stuff. Yeah. We've noticed that people being, you know, emotional beings, humans naturally are emotional beings, will walk into a house and they might get that sense of, oh, that's amazing. And that's great. That sells homes. Mm -hmm. But that feeling of, oh, this house sucks. The paint's trash. The carpet's trash. The counters are garbage. Keep in mind that like most everything in a home is repairable or changeable. And a good realtor will have a general idea of like, oh, this could get done this way. And it's going to be approximately this amount. They're not going to give you a, like a contractor's estimate. Yeah. You know, some agents will because we flip houses and we could say, hey, you know, I know this is what it costed me to do something similar. But, you know, having that conversation where it's like, okay, I'm looking at a house. Most people aren't going to find the dream house. Mm -hmm. I would say 99% of people are going to compromise at something on a house. Yep. The important thing to remember is that things are changeable, except location. So if you walk into a house and you say, oh man, I don't like the carpet and I hate the paint and this house is out because of that. Well, carpet and paint could be as little as like five grand, 10 grand. And if the price was right, wouldn't you want to buy that? And if the kitchen's outdated and you don't like it, well, when you update the kitchen, the home value goes up, you know? So just a couple thoughts about like negativity when it comes to finding something about a house that you don't like. If it hits like your major check boxes, if it has the location within the price range, the right bed bath count, um, you know, the, the big, uh, big ticket items are taken care of mm -hmm. the carpet and the paint and the, you know, 
that one faux wall mm-hmm. that makes your you know layout choppy. That's all fo- solvable. Yeah. Now, a second buyer uh, don't, which is absolutely one of the agent don'ts as well. Um, oh yeah. At, which is kind of a mutual respect thing, which again sounds like common sense. Um, is not to be late. And there's a couple of reasons for that outside of just, you know, the respect aspect of it from each party, Um, especially in this market. uh, You know, showings are scheduled from A to B, typically in 15 or 30 minute increments. Right. And typically you're having showings back to back to back to back. So you may have a two to two thirty time slot, but there's somebody behind you from one one thirty to two. And there's somebody after you from 2.30 to 3. So you really only have that window until it's not your turn and it's somebody else's turn to view the home. And if your agent is late or if you as the buyer are late, it may be the perfect dream house that checks you know, the majority of your boxes. But if you as the buyer are feeling rushed through, you're getting there and you've only got 10 minutes left in your showing time slot and you're walking through the house rushed, you know, you don't have time to soak in everything that may have been the one, but I mean, just think about it when we as humans are rushed and stuff like that. Uh, you know, there's, there's a good chance after that showing where me as the buyer, I'd be like, no, you know, that, that, that wasn't really it. That's not the house. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So outside of just the respect portion of it, um, you know, it's making sure you have enough time in the home to make sure what your likes are, what your concerns are and go from there. Right. Again, it comes back to, again, to that buyer's consultation. When are you free to show? Yeah. Right. So a lot of people get stuck in the evenings and weekends and not all agents can do that. So, you know, sometimes you'll get stuck with, hey, we got to go look at lunch. And when when you're going to go look at a house at lunch, you know, making sure that your agent knows, okay, how long is the commute to get from your work? Making sure that the communication's on board. How do you like to communicate? Are you a texter? Do you like email? Do you want phone calls? What's Mm -hmm. best? Um, all those things are super important and yeah, it's all in order to give you time in the house to decide or, or soak up as much information as possible and then make a, a reasonable decision on, do I want to make an offer or is this something that I want to walk away from? Of course. And now for our job as agents and for those of you who out there who, um, may be working with another agent or something to keep your eye out for, for what your agent in our opinion, should be proactively doing during the showing process. One, which is something, you know, you kind of talked about is, you know, we're no contractor or home inspector or anything, but as, as your agent, we should be also proactively looking for any potential uh, issues or any concerns that we think could arise in escrow and share that with you during the showing process. Common ones might be things regarding your loan. So, Hey, you know, you're a VA buyer, you have a lot of requirements to get your, your loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, this house has a lot of problems. And in this market, we can ask. But if the seller's not intending to make any repairs, you won't be able to get your loan and you'll have to come up with that money yourself. Yeah. Uh, kind of that kind of stuff and guidance on that. Hey, water heater will need to be double strapped. Hey, you know, this is not permitted. That might affect our appraisal. A lot of little things. Yeah. And also it going back to, you know, it being our job to also help help kind of uncover those layers as to what you as the buyer, what your key motivation is and, and 
you know, kind of your comfort level and, and key parts of making the offer. If it's something you do want to make an offer on. Yeah. How serious are you? How serious are you? How urgent it, you know, if you're on a, you know, kind of stricter or faster timeline, it's our job to help to gauge that urgency and to put you in the best position to get your offer accepted as soon as possible. Right. If you have an impending timeline, it's Mm -hmm. on the agent and you to communicate that timeline. And then it's on the agent to help give you the tools that you need to be done, right? So if you know that your deadline is in 45 days or 60 days, um, you need to get your offer accepted yesterday. (laughs) If you need to be moved out in 30 days, we need to start planning a different solution here for a short-term living situation. Yeah. Because unless something miraculous happens, a loan's going to take more than 30 days um, in most transactions. Absolutely. And so then... The other part is the agent is obviously setting up the showing and communicating with the listing agent. We're trying to figure out what the seller's motivation and needed things are. And what is the seller, what does the perfect offer to the seller look like? So that way, when we talk to you, especially in a market where it's very seller dominant, we can say, look, if you love the home, here's what you'd need to do. If you just like the home, what would you want to do that fits some of these criteria? Absolutely. And that is a perfect point, which we have in our next step, which we've been talking about a little bit, is making the offers, right? So you've been in the showing stage, you find a house that you have fallen in love with, and you are serious about making an offer, right? And you touched on it is, you know, one of our responsibilities is to kind of take charge on that offer, reach out to the other agent, See if there's anything the seller is particularly looking for in an offer. That way we can come back to you guys as our clients and say, hey, look, um, you know, I spoke with the other agent. Uh, The buyers are really hoping to stay in the property for another week just so they can get all all of their stuff out. Is that something you're comfortable including in your offer? And uh, us as agents, it's, you know, our responsibility to have that brutal conversation and say, hey, look, if we want to be competitive... These with these other we offers, we will need to include this in the offer. Yeah. And if it's not something you're com- comfortable putting in there, chances are we are not going to get the offer accepted. Yeah. And I want to remove the misconception that saying like, I'll take it or yep, I'll, I'll buy it, whatever. Um, you know, it's funny because it tells the agent, okay, great. They'll, they'll make the offer. Uh-huh. But in real estate, it's not like you order something on Amazon. It's not like they, the seller lists a house and it's like, okay, just say yes and it's yours yeah and especially in a competitive market which fresno i think is going to be in for a while i don't think we're going to really swing a lot um the seller is in control in some situations and the buyer's in control in others and when you're in a situation like our current economy has been for the last five years when you make an offer you're not guaranteed that you're getting it accepted and so taking the advice of your agent um looking with your lender at what you can afford and what you know what tactics there are to make your offer stronger these are all important things in order to be a successful purchaser absolutely or else you're just going to be looking at houses that you can't buy because you know you're not taking in the constructive feedback okay this is what the winning offer ended up being which you don't always know yeah and so you might sometimes you might be told okay these are the terms you need and you say well I can't I can't do that term that's fine but when we lose out you know, don't, you can't expect that you should have gotten it just because you made the offer. Absolutely. And I think it's also important, um, responsibility on both sides 
for one, you as the buyer to understand in its entirety the offer that you are writing. And that comes down to... You're making a commitment. Yeah. Ma- making a commitment and also your your agent talking you through these key terms. What what does it mean if you're putting in uh, a 14-day rent back? What does it mean if we're offering a $10,000 appraisal gap, right? So let's go over some of those key parts of the offer for people to understand, right? The, the biggest thing, obviously, which all of us understand, one is price. Yep. What are you offering? Most sellers care about price, but I would say most sellers in our current market care more about a specific term. Mm-hmm. That term varies, yeah. but usually the price is already acceptable because we're in a strong market. Absolutely. Now, we've got price. A couple of the other terms which we, which everybody should know up, up until this point is really your loan type. Right uh, up until this point, when when you all the way back when you've gotten pre-approved, we should everybody should pretty much know: Are you going to be using an FHA loan? Are you going to be doing a conventional loan? Are you going to be using a VA loan? And with that is also the understanding of you know what what your down payment is going to be because that's another uh, portion of the offer where you have to state what your down payment is. Yep. Are you three and a half FHA? Three and a half percent down. Are you 5% down conventional, 10% down conventional, 3% down conventional, whatever it is. 20% down. 20% down, right? Again, each thing has an effect on you, but it also, the seller can care about it too. It doesn't affect their net, right? So you are correct when you say, well, they get the same amount, but sellers have different preferences because they understand different loans have different requirements. Absolutely. Now... Another one that has to deal with the financials is something called the EMD, which uh, in my experience, not a lot of people are familiar uh, with that term. We like to call it the good faith deposit. So what is typical when making an offer and getting an offer accepted and opening escrow is it is you, the buyer, your responsibility to put in a good faith deposit with the escrow company. Um, That amount can vary as to what you're comfortable with. Um, how serious you are, how now if you're making a bigger earnest money deposit, um, that can't, that can send the message to the seller that you are more serious about buying the home. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that's typically within the first three days of escrow, you can take a personal check, a cashier's check, or you can wire that amount into escrow. Yeah. Anything else we're missing with the EMD? Well, I think it's important that we do clarify that price and terms are separate things, right? Absolutely. So the, so the price is just one part. These yep. are all little aspects, little tweaks that have no financial change in your total amount of money into the house, or typically they do not. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do affect the strength of the offer. Absolutely. And it's why sometimes lower priced offers get accepted. It's because we understand how to manipulate these little dials to make it best for the seller. So... Another one that's important is timeline for your escrow, right? So the length of time for your offer. Escrow is a time, location, and company. It's kind of confusing. We'll talk about it in the next podcast. But what's important to understand is when you buy a house, it's not a one-day process. There's a length of time, and it has different uh, portions that are allocated for investigation, document collection, negotiation, and then closing and funding, seller to move out. There's all these little steps. What's important to know is that sometimes sellers are motivated by speed. And if that speed 
is the most important thing, then maybe they're motivated for somebody who can close in 20 days than 30 days. They still get the same amount. Maybe they got more from the 30-day offer, but timing was everything to them. Absolutely. And then the last most common, you know, there's two more common things. One is an appraisal gap. When you get a loan, um, a bank will only lend to you based off the amount that the bank appraises the home for. It's Mm -hmm. the value. An appraisal gap is the idea that if the appraisal comes in low and my lender will only lend on 100,000 instead of the 110 I told you I'd pay, I will make up the difference. It's strictly cash out of pocket. It is one of the heaviest used terms right now because for a while our prices were catching up to our offers, so the appraisals were behind. But nowadays we're starting to see, you know, the home prices are stabling out a little bit. So something to think about. And then also terms like a rent back where the seller has time after the close of escrow, after they've gotten paid out for the home, Mm -hmm. for them to move out, right? So these are all important things to note. We're going to spend a lot more time next podcast talking about, okay, this is what escrow looks like and here's how the different details play out. Absolutely. And just a quick example on that appraisal gap, because like you said, especially in today's market, in a market where somebody may classify it as a seller's market or a hot market, um, we, we always use the term, you sell the house twice, right? You sell it first time to who? You sell it to the buyer. The buyer. And the second time you sell the house is to the appraiser, right? So let's say, as a real quick example, buyer and seller, you guys have agreed on a price of 300000 for the home. As a buyer, in your offer, you worked with your agent, and you said you were comfortable with including a $10,000 appraisal gap. And what you as the buyer are committing to when you include that in your offer is you and the seller may be in contract price at 300000 but say the appraiser goes out there and he appraises the home at only 290000 Like you said, the bank will only give you a loan on 290000 The so bank you, won't change. The bank will not change. So you as the buyer, you're committing to bring an extra $10,000 cash to close. So you need to somehow bring up that gap. So now, so that you're back at the 300000 Mm-hmm. So that's what you're committing to as, uh, as a buyer for that appraisal gap. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, making the offers. Let's talk about the lender. What's so important about the lender when you're making an offer? Well, so just like there's value to the loan when it comes to the loan type, sellers still get the same amount. Depending, doesn't matter with the lender. But they understand and they're advised by their agents based off of the lender's qualification. Bad experiences with a lender will lead to them getting blacklisted, right? If a lender, you know, cancels an escrow because he did not do his job, that agent will be permanently keeping that agent or that lender in mind when they see him. That person messed up this escrow because they didn't do their job. Did they do their job this time? How do I know? My goal is to look out for my seller's interest. If this cancels, my seller will be in a bad spot, blah, blah, blah. So it's important to know. My experience and the experience of others around me has been that local lenders who have lived in our market, who work in our market, who uh, socialize in our market, have much better success rates than large companies. Large companies can do well, but a lot of agents don't like calling into the customer service phone line, Mm -hmm. right? And not being able to get a hold of a lender, not being able to get updates. Because communication is key in escrow. We'll talk about it next week. But 
you know, when agents are looking, if there's two offers, they're identical. One's a local lender that they've had a great experience with. And one is a international lender or national lender that they have never used, or maybe they used and had a bad experience. They're always going to go with the local. There's no kickback for agents. Agents don't get any money from lenders. It's super illegal, Mm -hmm. but they understand that they advise their client to go with the person who has better reputation and skill set and who when things hit the fan will be there. Absolutely. And we've touched upon the major types uh, of loan types. Now there's a bunch of different types of loans out there that different lenders can offer, right? Depending on your situation and, and a bunch of other factors, but the four main ones, uh, three main loan types and, and a fourth offer type uh, we've mentioned them FHA, which typically requires requires repairs to be done depending on what comes back on the inspections yeah right next we've got va which uh in our experience requires the most amount of repairs in order for the loan to be made yeah third is conventional uh which sellers typically love to see right because conventional is usually uh easy to work with um you know obviously with conventional loans your down payment might differ from what we were talking about yeah um but conventional sellers typically see as you know easy to work with right and then the fourth option which isn't a loan option um but is cash and typically cash is king right as sellers if you see a cash offer coming in you you're you're pumped it's just less maintenance. The, the amount from a loan is the same. Again, I can't repeat that enough. The huh. seller gets the same amount. It's the peace of mind. And typically cash is security. Yeah. And I want to backtrack a little bit. You said it when we started talking about parts of the offer. And it's the difference as a buyer of liking a house and loving a house. And that's where it comes down to us as agents or your agent to sit down with you when you're making the offer and be brutally honest and say, Hey, look, do you want to make an offer based on you liking the house? Or do you want to put together an offer that I think will put us in the best position to win in the best position to get us into escrow? Right. It depends on your motivation and your, and the house. And there's a lot of different keys. Yeah. And typically a good agent can get an offer accepted if you work with them. And yes, you will pay a good amount for the house. You will give up a lot of terms. But the most important thing in that situation is getting the house and you win. If you just like the house, you're not motivated, you don't need to worry about it, great, no problem. Just know that if somebody else is in that spot where they need it, they're going to make it happen. Yeah. And even if you just put in a good offer, that doesn't guarantee anything. It always comes down to the buyer who's going to be willing to work with the seller's terms and price. So, you know, we don't want to get like way too bogged down on it. Just Mm -hmm. know that if you love a house and you need this house, you need to communicate that to your agent. And just because you love and need it too, keep in mind, there's probably somebody else who loves and needs it. So you need to work with your agent to give the best offer you can. And if you can't get your offer accepted, then it's not meant to be. It's just, that's where your worldview comes into play. If you believe in God or whatever, karma, Mm -hmm. universe, whatever term you say, it's not, it's not in your cards to have that house. And we'll, the agent will follow up with that house because they know you love it so much. And if something happens, you want to be right there to take advantage of the situation. But just know that if you just like the house, 
then the agent's not going to push you to do those th- same things. Yeah. Because maybe you just like the house and great, we'll just throw in a good offer, strong offer. But if you love the house, you're going to add that appraisal gap, the rent back, the shortened contingency time frame, maybe remove contingencies, higher earnest money deposit. There's a ton of terms to show I am willing to do what it takes to get it done. And it's important to have that conversation too. If you're making an offer just based on, you know, you liking the home and yeah, we'll put in a strong offer. It, it's got to be perfectly clear, um, which is, you know, partly the, the agent's responsibility to convey this, but for you to be okay with that offer not getting accepted because most likely someone else out there is putting in an offer based on them loving the house and doing whatever it takes for them to get the house. And, you know, that, that kind of comes back to, um, you know, making sure you're, uh, you're wanting to make offers on houses do you that even you want, do love. Yeah. Do you yeah. even want to make an offer on this house? Yeah. And if I don't, that's okay. Yeah. The last thing was time frame. Yep. A lot of people, uh, once we've written the offer, they ask, well, how long is this going to take? The answer is it varies, but typically a week is the longest I've seen negotiations last. Mm-hmm. The experience that I've always had, the purchase contract has a three day expiration date on it by default, by default. So you submit an offer either though. Usually the ways we see it is either a seller will have a specific date and time. They're going to review offers mm-hmm. or they'll review as they come in either way, the seller will review your offer and then they have the option of either taking it, denying it or countering it. If they take it or deny it, you know, your answer within that three days yep. or sooner. If they counter it, then they write up literally it's called a seller counter offer and it's one page and they change the terms that they don't want or they take things out or add things in, they send it back to you and it has a three-day expiration. And now it's your job to review it and you can either take it, reject it, or counter it. And so the reason why we bring this up is you can go back and forth countering on terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. Just know during all of that time, somebody could come snake you and take the house. Yeah. But you could also find out as soon as tomorrow or same day. Yeah. Absolutely. So we've covered in, you know, this episode kind of step two of buying a house, which took us from the buyer's perspective, which took us from having a pre-approval all the way up to making offers. Now, the important step here is, like you said, figuring out if your offer is accepted or, you know, uh, that portion of where you may be negotiating for a period of time, but if your offer is accepted or if your offer is rejected. And it's important to note here in step two, if your offer is rejected, you backtrack and you start back over at the showing stage, right? Your offer was rejected. You didn't get that house, but you know, like you said, um, you know, the right one is going to be out there. So you're back to the showing stage. You just keep looking, keep looking. You kind of repeat that process until you get to your offer accepted. Now, what we'll be covering next week in step three of buying a house is once you get your offer accepted, the escrow process, right? Which can be really daunting, um, which can be stressful, confusing. So we're going to be covering that next week in step three of buying a house. Um, But I think that wraps up our step two. Absolutely. This is a really important series for you guys to comment what questions you have. So that way we can answer them. Um, we will be back next week to discuss the pinnacle of your real estate transaction, which is all the way up through closing and getting your keys. Hopefully we've brought you from complete, uh, you know, 
not interested in buying a house all the way up through making offers and you feel confident that you know the process. And if you're in this position, feel free to give us a call if you have questions. Uh, and we would be happy to refer you to lenders or talk to you over a coffee or whatever it takes to help get your confidence up. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for tuning in uh, to the second episode of our home buying series. We will be back next week with our escrow process. Until then, like Scott said, please let us know if you have any questions, comments, or concerns you'd like us to talk about. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining, guys.